not taken by Robert Frost. Two roads diverged in a yellow wood, and sorry I could not travel both and be one traveler, long I stood and looked down one as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth. Then took the other as just as fair, and having perhaps the better claim because it was grassy and wanted wear. Though as for that, the passing there had warned them really about the same. And both that morning equally lay in leaves, no step had trodden black. Oh, I kept the first for another day. Yet, knowing how way leads on to way, I doubted if I should ever come back. I shall be telling this with a sigh. Somewhere ages and ages hence, two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. Two courses diverged in an English manner by me. My backstory that I share today is of a 20-year-old traveling lass with a choice to make to find her way between one of two, a Shakespeare class. A fall abroad, much to explore and see. Would she take the class bogged down with books, one required for that BFA degree? Or would she take the road that fewer took? One meant reading about half the whole canon. Two plays a week, so much rhyme and verse. Students bleary with no understanding. That course a drag, a drain, a bloody curse. The other read but six of the bard's full breadth. Three classic tragedies, three supposed comedies. To relish, savor, and dissect in depth. BFA be damned, I'll take a BS degree if it brings me better understanding. Two courses an English manner proffered, the first over full with burnt out students. So I, I took the one much less preferred and that has made all the difference. Hello friends, lovers, shrew people, welcome to the Shrew Review Podcast. I'm your host, Lita Lopez, your intrepid shrew. Are you a shrew too? Not sure? A little shrew curious? Well, come with me on this journey as I walk you through all things shrew. If you'll indulge me, I'll tell you a little bit about why I'm here. As my road not taken homage to courses diverged in an English manner summarizes, I spent the fall of my junior year of college at the University of Evansville's secondary campus, Harlexton College, in Grantham, England, Lincolnshire, 
about an hour north of London by train. There, I had a choice between two Shakespeare classes, one that read something like 18 freaking plays, and one that read six. Uh, it was kind of a no-brainer, simply from the stance of, hey, I'm in this new country, I'm here to explore, study for school, do my classes, yes, but also study life. Learn from travel and new experiences, misguided adventures, and unrequited love. Yes, I already had an appreciation and pull of drawing towards Shakespeare, but I didn't want to spend every waking moment with my head in a book. I am here to look up and out and around at this whole new world this green and pleasant land. Students came to Harlexton from about half a dozen colleges, pursuing a full range of majors. There were slightly older nursing students, undergrads in finance, economics, political science, physics, yada, yada, and more yada. Although not specifically designed to be so, the semester in England felt especially geared toward us theater majors. There were trips to London for performances in the West End, a visit to Stratford-upon-Avon, Shakespeare's birthplace and gravesite, and there was the manor itself that felt like one great grandiose stage, just begging for us to burst into song or monologue at any moment. Most of the students from my school and theater program were encouraged to do a Harlexton semester in their sophomore year. It was one of the selling points of the school in the first place, and I was desperate to go, but ahead of my sophomore year, I wasn't really sure I or my family could afford this added expense. But as my classmates came back that spring with their tales of pastoral bliss and the Gregory Arms, and the mile-long driveway, and Stonehenge, I knew that Harlexton was calling my spirit, my soul. I simply had to go, and so I went. As usual, a day late and a dollar short, but perhaps, too, that has made a difference. The Shakespeare seminar I chose instead of the one recommended to us theater majors was also a 300-level course instead of 200. As a junior, that also felt like where I should be. Less busy work, but more in-depth analysis, a finer, truer level of learning. These were simple reasons, but they produced a profound outcome. The tragedies we read were probably the biggies, Hamlet, King Lear, Macbeth, usual suspects, the comedies, As You Like It, I think maybe The Tempest. The truth is, I don't remember much of anything else from the class except The Taming of the Shrew. Classified as a comedy, this play is my play, my passion. That class tapped into my heart, my very being, if you will, 
and it put me on this path that leads me to this moment speaking to you right now. Beginning with the high-spirited debate of Shakespeare Seminar 341, taught by Dr. Helen Snow. Hats off to you, Dr. Snow. You are forever in my heart as a hero and a mentor and a professor that let me speak and then listened. Because of that class, I have been on a lifelong mission to get the Taming of the Shrew reclassified. I'm going to move it from the comedy column to the tragedy column. Yeah, the Taming of the Shrew is a tragedy, and I can prove it. But I'm getting ahead of myself. I tend to do that. Bear with me, folks. Little did I know that choice between two Shakespeare classes meant that I would not meet the requirements for my previously planned Bachelor of Fine Arts and Theater Performance degree. When I got back to the States the next semester, my new advisor was frustrated and annoyed that I'd gone off the recommended track. Sorry, dude. I listened to my gut. But this meant we had to now reverse engineer a new degree path. A Bachelor of Science in Theater Performance with an associated study in writing and literature. Hmm... This was the right path. I no longer had to make a choice between my love of acting and my yearning to be a writer. I could do both. Seems obvious, but, you know, as a 20-year-old kid, you're just told this is what you do. It felt great to make my own choices, which is where I am today, doing both acting writing. I'm a working actor in Los Angeles. I have multiple scripts under my belt. I wrote, starred in, and produced my first short, The Good Balloon, which hit the festival circuit in 2021 with multiple selections and awards. And here's a bigger, not-so-humble brag. My only sister and I just recently won a first place grand prize award in the Table Read My Screenplay Genre Screenwriting Competition. For a pilot we wrote inspired by her time as a 20-something social worker. Stay tuned for details about the reading to come. During the great lockdown of 2020, I was restless, anxious, and aimless, as pretty much we all were, I think, right? I needed a project and a purpose, a clear path. I needed a road to emerge in a yellow wood with some answers, maybe some comfort, and certainly something to give me a reason not to just sleep all day to tune out the chaos of those frightening, uncertain days. And then suddenly there it was, the answer I had been ignoring for far too long. Now, this weird time was the perfect time to pull out an old, dusty project from the back drawers of my mind and old computers. It was time to resurrect my life's passion. Per the goal I set for myself, on December 31st, 2020, I completed the first draft of my unofficial dissertation. The Tragedy of the Shrew, It Must Excite Pity and Fear. The Taming of the Shrew is a Tragedy, and Aristotle says so. 
For a couple decades, on and off, when I could find the time to do so, I read and researched and studied the taming of the shrew. I came across Aristotle's poetics and his definitions of tragedy in the early 2000s, and it was a lightning bolt kind of revelation. Shakespearean scholars often, annoyingly, want to distill his plays down to marriage plots equal comedy, death and destruction equals tragedy. But Aristotle doesn't do that. The protagonist's physical death is not required in a tragic plot. The main requirements are pity, fear, reversal, recognition, and suffering. I'd say a play about an independent-minded woman forced to marry against her will and then tamed into submission and subservience by the abusive husband has more than enough pity, fear, and suffering to qualify. It's all in my dissertation. Email me if you want to read it. Tragedyoftheshrew at gmail.com But here I am today, dissertation done, but no degree to show for it. Thus, one of my goals and reasons for doing this podcast and my accompanying YouTube blog is I'm going to reverse engineer another degree with an emphasis on identifying and analyzing shrew stories in literature and entertainment. I am setting out on an independent quest of gender studies and feminist theory, women writers and literature, women's roles in the early modern Elizabethan and Renaissance era, and the representation of women in film and TV. I'll speak with professors, authors and advocates, actors and directors. I'll review plays, film and television, doing my best to never be a spoiler, but I will always warn you in advance if I do. I'll share with you more of my dissertation theories and why Aristotle says the shrew is a tragedy and maybe just maybe someday some head of some university department somewhere will recognize my efforts and grant me an honorary degree it could happen and then the perfect person at the perfect publishing house will hear this podcast and say I want to read that book of hers. Let's send it to the printers. That's the goal. But nonetheless, if I never get those shiny MFA or PhD letters after my name, the true joy will be in the journey. I decided to start this podcast today because there's a particular hot topic, buzzy TV show that I have to talk about. I have to address this show. It's toying with being a shrew story, but doesn't quite hit the mark. But first, what's a shrew story? And for that matter, what's a shrew? Well, here we go. I self-identify as a shrew. Perhaps you do too. So what does that mean? I see a shrew as anyone of any gender, although most often female identifying, and therefore I will use she, her as the blanket pronouns, 
But a shrew is a person who is outspokenly opinionated, uninhibited, and unafraid to be loud or take up space. An independent thinker and nonconformist. A shrew fights for just and noble causes, especially the overthrow of patriarchal oppression and tyranny. A shrew is someone who defies gender norms and societal expectations of gender roles. Shrews reject these constraints and refuse to be limited by what others say they are supposed to be or do. A shrew forges her own path and takes the road less traveled by. A shrew may eschew politeness, but is not inherently an asshole. Do not confuse a shrew with a Karen. Karens are entitled, selfish, and cruel. A shrew may get angry and may be brash and blunt, which some may find or label as rude, but at the core... A shrew has a deep capacity for and is motivated primarily by love and loyalty. Like most of humanity, a shrew's true desire is simply to love and be loved. But that love does not have to be romantic. A shrew doesn't need nor even necessarily want romance. Most of the time, she'd rather just be left the hell alone. She doesn't need anyone else to complete her. The love she seeks can be platonic or familial. Sometimes that's the most true and pure. Too many productions of The Taming of the Shrew only see or emphasize the jealousies between Katharina and her sister Bianca. They do not recognize that Katharina sacrifices everything for Bianca. She must obliterate her whole identity and sense of self so that Bianca can have a chance at happiness. The true love story in the play is Katharina's love for her little sister. A shrew will fight for herself and the underdogs. A shrew has immense self-love and self-respect. Others will try and sometimes succeed in beating that out of her, but a shrew knows her worth and stands up for it. And she knows that that worth comes from within and is not based in her beauty, body, or breeding capabilities. A shrew may have anger, but it is usually a justified and righteous anger. As Katharina says in Act 4, my tongue will tell the anger of my heart, or else my heart concealing it will break. That's heavy. My tongue will tell the anger of my heart, or else my heart concealing it will break. That is about confronting injustice. That's not about having a hissy fit because the barista got your macchiato order wrong. That's about real anger of the gut that needs to be expressed. However, a shrew will give as good as she gets, and if you lash out at her or insult her, expect some nastiness in return. 
Examples of notable shrews from history include Queen Elizabeth I, Bella Abzug, Shirley Chisholm, and India's bandit queen, Fulan Devi, just to name a few. What is a shrew story? It can be anything that has a shrew as a protagonist or central character. The antagonists will often find fault with some aspect of the shrew's personality and try to change or crush her brave spirit. Also, because the main conflict in The Taming of the Shrew is that it is a story about forced marriage, a shrew story often revolves around coerced relationships, arranged or forced marriages. The Bridgerton series is an example, with season two especially being heavily and highly influenced by the shrew. It's pretty close to being a complete retelling. A shrew may not always win in her pursuits. Quite often, she is tragically defeated, but she will be free even to the uttermost as she pleases in words, meaning she will speak her mind and her truth even to her dying day, which again may not be her physical death, but rather her spiritual and intellectual death or, as in the original Katharina's case, the crushing murder of her essence and very being. Again, Taming of the Shrew, a play about an independent woman forced to marry against her will, tamed into being an obedient, subservient wife by the abusive husband. For more on forced marriage and why this is not a thing of the past, please see episode one of the Shrew Review vlog on YouTube. The play is not a love story. And do not even try to convince me it is. Although there have been some successful romantic comedies inspired by it, i.e. 10 Things I Hate About You, the original shrew Taint No Rom-Com, and Petruchio Taint No Heath Ledger. Okay, enough setup. Let's get into today's topic. Oh, goodness, this one. You're all probably watching it, or maybe you started and then you're like, do I really want to keep going with this? It's the Game of Thrones prequel, House of the Dragon. I kind of really, really hate this show. I really, really love the original Game of Thrones, and... I know it's an unpopular opinion, but I had no problems with the final season and the series finale. None. Except everything was shot way too dark, and half the time I literally couldn't see what the hell was happening. Other than that, zero issues with how it ended. Mild spoiler alert on the original show coming up, but it did and over three years ago, so if you haven't seen it, it's kind of on you. But nonetheless, feel free to skip a minute or so right now. Game of Thrones was a show with some excellent shrew characters. Arya Stark and Daenerys Targaryen at the very top of that list. Arya killing the White King at the end? Who could ask for a better outcome there? Through and through, Arya is one badass, mother-loving shrew. People like to complain about the finale and Daenerys' whole downfall, but 
She told us from the start, I do not have a gentle heart. So why was anyone surprised when she showed us that? She told us who she was. Why didn't you believe her? She is also very Cobra Kai. Strike first, strike hard, no mercy, ma'am. She originally had a just and noble cause to fight for, as the breaker of chains and a liberator. She liberated herself and then traveled the kingdoms, liberating other enslaved peoples. Yes! Love it! We wanted her to succeed and to hold the Iron Throne, but she got lost in the throne. Perhaps, as the new show will tell, this Targaryen aspect is unavoidable. That is in the blood. The thirst for that throne seems to be all that matters. Daenerys's true purpose was crumbled destroyed by hubris, ego, and that thirst for power. Let's not forget, she was the daughter of the Mad King, and that blood, again, that Targaryen blood, runs really thick. Her thirst drove her to madness, and she became an agent of death and destruction. She lost her shrewdness. She no longer deserved to be a queen, and I'm glad she didn't get to be one. I know lots of folks wanted it all tied up in some pretty little bow with her and Jon Snow ruling together on matching Iron Thrones. Ugh, I'm so glad we didn't get that incestuous happy little ending. They gave us something honest and real instead. A little gut-wrenching and heartbreaking, but Jon Snow had to make a sacrifice for the greater good, which is one thing a shrew will always do. She may fight like hell for herself, but in the end, she sacrifices herself for those she loves. Tragically so. That's where Daenerys failed. The entire original Game of Thrones series was rich and complicated and populated with multi-layered, three-dimensional, intriguing characters. Sometimes we didn't know who to root for, but that was okay too, because even most of the villains had some redeeming qualities. We understood their motives and desires. Agree or disagree, they were all interesting to watch. And although Cersei may lean more toward the Karen side of the spectrum, even that vicious witch was a pretty good shrew most of the time. House of the Dragon is an attempt at the same, and yet it is failing so miserably. It doesn't even feel like it's in the same universe. The first season is currently airing at the time of this recording, and I will try to talk about it in mostly general terms up through the most recent episode, number six, The Princess and the Queen, aptly titled episode. My main focus here is on theme and character, doing my best to avoid specific plot points. But again, I will give you a warning before I spoil anything. So at first glance, Rhaenyra seems like a shrew. Her story is a familiar one. She is being faced with the prospect of politically motivated marriage and is balking at the idea. 
She wants to marry someone of her own choosing. Great. She doesn't want to be forced to marry against her will. Excellent. That is shrewish. However, my problem is her smugness. One of my problems. She's just simply not likable. None of these characters are likable. I don't know who to root for. Not because the lines of right and wrong are blurred or the bad guy is really lovable in some ways, but simply because there's just no one I want to root for. These are thinly drawn, one-dimensional, one-note characters. Every single one. Where is the Tyrion Lannister? Where is the Hound? Where is the Brienne of Tars? Brienne, another great shrew. Rhaenyra is no Daenerys. And not a one of these characters comes close to being an Arya. The one female character who I immediately liked, minor spoiler, and wanted to see more of was then gone. Almost as soon as she appeared, a little blip and then poof. That character appears in episode five, We Light the Way. Let me know if you know who I'm talking about. So let's take a look at the three primary female characters. Some spoilers ahead from the first few episodes, but these aren't major twists. These are the stuff of trailers and you're hopefully already a little aware of it anyway. This is just the premise setup of the show. So we have Princess Rhaenyra, King Viserys Targaryen's daughter, and his named heir to the throne. Then there's Alicent Hightower, who is definitely more of a Bianca than a Katharina, and looks to be well on her way to Karenicity because she's becoming judgmental, spiteful, arrogant, and can't just let others live their own lives without stirring up trouble. Stay out of people's bedrooms, Alicent! She and Rhaenyra start off as best friends and confidants to each other, almost as close as sisters. As the daughter of the king's hand, Alicent's mother seems to be nowhere around. I guess she's back at their home castle. Alicent is here at court, and she is in need of the female companionship she gets from Rhaenyra. It starts out lovely, nicely. And then they just turn bitchy. But next we have Rhaenys Targaryen. Why the hell must these names be so damn similar? I know they're all related, but come on. Rhaenys Targaryen is also known as the queen who never was. In technicality of birthright, she was next in the line of succession to take the Iron Throne after the death of her own father in episode one. But because the patriarchy has to be the bullshit patriarchy, the lords of the kingdom all decide to get together and have a vote and instead choose her cousin Viserys, a person with a penis, to be king instead. Yes, this is supposed to be unjust and infuriating, but there's just something I'm still trying to really put my finger on about how much the central premise of this show annoys the crap out of me. 
It could be that it's just the pacing and it's so slow, it's so slow, it's so slow. But I should be so on board being a shrew and yet somehow I am not. The story feels shrew adjacent. Like it's a wannabe that can't quite muster up the courage to go all the way. Moving on. To avoid similar uncertainty about who is king next, Viserys is pressured to name his own heir. And without a son at the present, he goes against convention. Instead of naming his brother Damon, which of course Damon really wants him to do, Viserys names his daughter, Rhaenyra, whom he loves and claims to respect very much. Cool. I appreciate you, Viserys. I see you. But on and on and on, we just have talk about how no one will ever accept a woman ruler. She's still a teenager, but Rhaenyra's whole life has become about everyone around her saying the realm will never accept you. Rhaenys knows this firsthand. The queen who never was tells Rhaenyra, Men would sooner put the realm to the torch than see a woman ascend the Iron Throne. And they repeat this over and over and over again. How about we put that idea to the test? Let's see Rhaenyra ascend the throne and then see what happens. If it's a war, it's a war. At least something would be happening. I'm assuming they will get there, but good God, we're already six episodes in and all that has happened is people having babies. Come on. The queen that never was, Rhaenys, instead of standing behind her cousin, Rhaenyra, to support and buoy her claim to the throne, Rhaenys only schemes to get her own children married back into the royal family. You know, more of that good old Targaryen inbreeding. And she's going to manipulate power behind the scenes. Viserys is again under pressure from his council, this time to remarry, even though he really doesn't want to because he's still mourning and in love with his first wife. Interestingly, although Viserys seems to really have very few thoughts or a backbone of his own, he also understands that, huh, Maybe I don't really want to marry someone just for political purposes and a power arrangement. Maybe I'd like to actually be with somebody I kind of like and want to sleep with. Hmm. Shouldn't everyone have that choice? So he decides to marry Alicent, Rhaenyra's best friend, which gives birth to a now bitter rivalry and some petty jealousies that will continue to fester between Rhaenyra and Alicent for God knows how long. This is what I hate. Why must they be so backstabby? Why must they be so petty? Why does Alicent give a crap about who Rhaenyra sleeps with? None of your damn business. Is this entire show just going to be one very long, very dull catfight. God help us all. 
Not one of these women is happy in this world. Auntie Rainus at least seems to have a stable and loving relationship with her husband, but she will always be angry and vengeful for the lack of a queendom. So why can't these three kind of powerful women join forces? Huh? Couldn't they? Couldn't they just do that? Couldn't they join together, support each other? Why can't they work together to overthrow this bullshit patriarchy instead of kowtowing to it? They simply accept this reality, hating it, but not doing any damn thing about it. Each one of them hates some aspect of their circumstances, but they cannot seem to come together against their common enemy, those men who would sooner put the realm to the torch than see a woman ascend the Iron Throne. I'm continuing to watch this show because fighting sexism is a just and noble cause. I simply wish they would go ahead and get there already. We cannot expect to fight sexism or racism or any other isms by simply repeating over and over again, it's out there, it exists. Okay, acknowledging the problem is the first battle, but we can't stop there as storytellers. We can fight the isms by showing something different, by showing women warriors like Brienne of Tarth kicking some ass realistically. We can show a character like Arya Stark rejecting gender norms and constraints and pursuing sword fighting. We don't have to repeat over and over again, but girls don't sword fight. Let's just see her do it. Rhaenyra, why don't you do something for the people to show them you can handle the job. Instead of just complaining they'll never accept me, make them accept you. Be a Princess Diana. Be a Mother Teresa. Be a Breaker of Chains. Do something to become a queen. Show me that Rhaenyra deserves to be queen in a real way. What are her qualities that would make her a good leader. I don't know that she has any. I might prefer to see Auntie Rhaenys as the queen who actually is. I don't know yet. Neither of them have shown me who they really are and why they deserve the throne. To be honest, I don't really care because also... None of these people have a just and noble cause that they're fighting for. I don't know who would be a better ruler because they don't have anything that they're passionate about. They don't care about the people. They just care about the power. How are we as the viewers supposed to care about them when they're fighting for nothing at all? There doesn't even seem to be any benefits of having power. There's no consequences depending on who takes the throne. There there are no stakes at stake here. There really aren't. Oh, there's some uprisings in the stone steps. Step stones. I don't care. Ugh. I've invested six episodes 
I think there are five more to come, so I will keep going. But my God, why did they even make this show? After the end of the original Game of Thrones, the only kind of prequel or sequel that I could imagine I would want to see is Arya Stark on her adventures on that ship. Let's follow that and see where the hell she goes. There's a whole other continent to discover. There's a whole other ocean full of new people and new lands and landscapes and cultures and I mean, there's so much more to be imagined. This series just feels so unimaginative. Again, not even part of the same world. The original, we had the North and King's Landing and the East and the West, and they were all felt like regions, different areas of this country where the people were different and the customs and the landscape itself like it was always amazingly interesting and beautiful just to look at this one I guess the budget was smaller because there's not that much to look at we got the castle we got the stepstones we got another castle but even these just don't feel as rich and detailed and alive. Like the original show was just pulsing with life and creativity. And this one is just drab and empty. I suppose that's all I have to say about it for now. I will finish the season Perhaps I'll have more to say again later. I'm not telling you don't watch this, but I am curious if you are watching it, what it is you like about it, what draws you in and keeps you watching. I suspect that like me, it is a loyalty to the original show that we just can't let go. I really want to have the same kind of connection and appointment viewing and I think I'm just holding on to the past so that's an issue perhaps I need to work on and I will update after episode seven this was perhaps the most eventful episode yet not saying much and my feelings have not changed the epic catfight continues and has escalated. Alicent is showing her true colors, and they are not beautiful like a rainbow. They are pretty wretched and disgusting like a burning pile of trash. There was one of the kid characters for a moment I thought might be cool and I could root for and then of course just made a dick move. So yeah, again I'm still left with I don't know who to root for. Rhaenyra, uh, no redeeming qualities, um, can't like her one little bit. I just can't. I'm trying. I just can't like her. Perhaps uh, Auntie Rhaenys is uh, the hero for me. Rhaenyra continues to be just uh, 
thirsty for power, thirsty all over the place. She's supposed to be the hero, I suppose, but yet there is nothing heroic about her. Still struggling for who to root for, although perhaps I'm leaning toward Auntie Rainus a little bit, uh, but she's still got to kind of woman up and uh, make some bold moves as well to get my support. Yeah, still a crushing disappointment of a show. All right. And yet, I'll keep watching. Thank you for listening. I'll be back again soon with another podcast episode. Next time, I'll be talking about the movies 10 Things I Hate About You and Deliver Us from Eva. Thank you for listening, shrews. You can reach out to me with comments, questions, or review suggestions at tragedyoftheshrew at gmail. Until next time, may you always be brave enough to let your tongue tell the anger of your heart, and may you always be free as you please, even to the uttermost.